0: Welcome to the Lions Den University Report. This program brings you a behind the scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. The following program was previously broadcast. Beautiful day outside here in Gainesville, Florida at the University of Florida for this interview. Uh, my guest is a part of the University of Florida College of Medicine in the admissions department, uh, Jay Lynch. And, Jay, welcome to our program today. Thank you, Glenn. Glad to be here. And uh, tell us a uh, little bit about your responsibilities
1: here at the university and uh, maybe a little bit about your background uh, leading to this job. Sure. So I, I grew up in Virginia and uh, in a Christian home, went to the University of Virginia and uh, got my bachelor's in biology there and worked at InterVarsity, worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and was um, admitted to medical school at Eastern Virginia Medical School in 1981. And my wife and I got married and I started medical school a week later Mm -hmm. and um, spent three years there and then three years here in residency, was on the faculty for a year as a general internist. I went to the National Cancer Institute to do my uh, medical oncology training, so I'm a cancer specialist. Um, My wife and I looked for various jobs in the southeast because she's from Tampa, and we liked Gainesville, and they liked me, and I came back in 1991 and have been here actually finishing up my 25th year on the faculty here at U.S. Is that right? So, okay. Right. We had good friends here and a church we loved and a, um, seemed like, and part of what I liked about this institution, the College of Medicine, was they took education seriously. And it may sound odd that an educational institution would be known <laughs> for that, but not all medical colleges actually pay attention to med student education, and that was something I was very interested in.
0: I see. Great, and, and now did you have a specialty in medicine then?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm a medical oncologist and my area of expertise for research is in lymphomas, so I'm a lymphomas. lymphoma doctor. All right. And uh, I've done my share of clinical trials and um, other research enterprises. I take care of patients. I still see patients twice a week, and um, see that I was in, in the hospital seeing folks yesterday. I see. So, and okay. so I will always be a physician. professionally and when I first took the job as the admission dean somebody said to me in an odd way do you still have to see patients? <laughs> do you have to? Huh? Right. I looked at them and I said, I kind of like being a doctor and I frankly wouldn't want someone teaching medical students who doesn't like being a doctor. All right. Okay. <laughs> Great.
0: So, so you are here in the uh, as the Dean of Admissions mm-hmm. for the, the School of
1: Medicine. And uh, tell us a little bit about what that job in, entails. It's a good story, actually, to tell because um, you don't have to look very far. Uh, about eight years ago, the uh, then dean of the College of Medicine uh, became somewhat infamous for interfering in the, in the admissions process, allegedly on behalf of a politically connected donor. And um, as a result of fallout from that and other things, he was ultimately dismissed from his position. And then the new administration decided they wanted to retool the admission office and mm-hmm. how it worked. And so they created a dean's position, an assistant dean position, and um, asked me if I would apply for it. And um, so that's been five years I've been in this job. And I had been on the admission committee before I interviewed folks and thought that'd be kind of an interesting challenge. And, right. um, and so I started asking people what you want in your doctor. Mm-hmm. it's funny, I started going around and I would talk at Everything from nursing homes to elementary schools to ask the question at Indiana University College of Medicine to the faculty, and I always get exactly the same answers. Okay. (laughs) You want your doctor to be pretty smart and know what he or she is doing. Right. You want them to care about you. Mm -hmm. You want them to listen to you. To have your best interest at heart, not their own to be able to communicate in a way that you will understand what they say. And it's remarkable, Glenn. It doesn't matter what audience I ask, I always get the same answers to this question. And I would challenge anyone to come up with a question that everybody would answer the same way, no mm-hmm. matter where you are in the world. Right. And so then the question became, how does one choose the sorts of people who will be that? Right, And most people aren't kind of aware of how medical school admissions work, but for many years it was very much related to just being smart. Mm -hmm. Highest test scores, highest grades, those are the people that will be the best doctors. And so we kind of put together a program um, to screen our applicants. Last year we got 4,600 applicants for 135 slots, and we only interview about 350 to 360 of those people. Mm So my team here, um, which is a wonderful group of folks, we put together a what we call a screening process, and it only gives about 40% of the weight to the metrics. The rest of it has to do with these other characteristics that you think of in a physician, and so we look for evidence of those characteristics in the applicants in, our, in the best way we can, and then invite people that have both sets.
0: Great, great. So, well, that's a real sorting out process. You said started out with uh, what 4,500? 4, 4,600 4, applications
1: and we interview 350 and some change mm-hmm. and end up with a class size of 135.
0: Wow okay so uh, you know you hear from time to time especially with different legislation and so mm-hmm. on uh, that we may face a shortage of doctors do you feel like that is a possibility uh,
1: in the oh, future? It's an interesting question I, I think inevitably it is um, well, actually, let me rephrase that. So new medical schools are opening all the time. And in fact, there there used to be three medical schools in Florida. There are now seven um, MD programs and new programs are opening both and from the osteopathic um, schools, as well as a new um, allopathic school, so we're building more medical schools. What we haven't done, um, and this sort of reflects the joys of bureaucracy, so funding medical school. If you're a, if you're a congressman from Jacksonville, it's very easy to get support to have a medical school in your community, but people actually. Need to do postgraduate training residencies, and that number of positions has not increased much at all. Mm-hmm. At okay. the same time, where we increase the number of medical student um, graduates by a substantial amount, so I think, yeah, there's always going to be a shortage of physicians, um, and. What constrains our class size, which would be your next question, okay, do you, why don't you just train more people? Has to do with having enough training sites to adequately train them. You have to have a hospital that has enough places. And right. so there are um, ways that that is determined. And um, 135 sounds like about right for us right now in terms of the opportunities. I wouldn't want to shortchange the training of physicians just to get more of them. I don't want, I don't want more quantity and less quality. Right.
0: Great. Well, that uh, sounds uh, very interesting, and uh, uh, sounds like you apply your Christian values to a lot of these things. And, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, also understand too, as you uh, forwarded some emails to me of some uh, interviews you've had in the past, uh, that uh, the medical profession can be uh, very, uh, uh, very difficult at times, and, and you faced some crises in your. Uh, pathway. Uh, even though although you became a Christian, I presume early on in life, and ten years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> and uh, so follower of Jesus Christ, and yet still, as you were in the medical practice, tell us a little bit about what happened and, sure. and how you got uh, through that.
1: So, um, so as a medical oncologist, it's not hard to imagine that it can be a challenging profession. Cancer is a difficult. Uh, specialty people often don't do well, and it takes this emotional toll. And if you care about people, I think there is a real way, and you can find this multiple places in Scripture. But where, if I come to you and I understand and share your burden for your disease or for whatever's wrong with you, quite frankly, it I carry that to some degree myself, and you will feel better. And I think this is a real entity that goes on. And so if, if you want to be a caring physician or, or want to be caring at any position, honestly, it will take its toll on you. And um, I had the most wonderful wife in the world. We're just, we're going to have our 35th anniversary next month and um, four children and three grandchildren. But, you know, uh, we, I always kind of lived on the edge. We were very busy It's a, 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 in medical school. I teach all the time and I'm taking care of patients all the time and i I always, I have written scripts for antidepressants to innumerable people over the years in my life and seen the benefits of them, and I'll talk about that in a little if you want. Um, But somehow, um, as I became slowly more and more darkened on the inside and just feeling uh, desperate, um, I prayed and God helped me and talked to a couple of my close friends about it but nobody knew exactly what to say i mean good grief jay but look what you do i i'm not surprised that you're not a little you know <laughs> uh, struggling but right out, right about 9 11 was when things on the original 9 11 days when things started falling down around me and um and i was troubled deeply by the attacks on september 11th and um, Shortly thereafter, in early October, one of my closest friend's son took his own life. I and, see. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I, of course, immediately went to, went to be with them and share that experience with them mm-hmm. and help them walk through that. And A number of other things happened. I had, I had pretty close relationships with patients, and several of them who were very close to me passed away at about the same time. My um, wife sustained a back injury and was in bed for a long period of time so with four relatively small children I'm mm. trying to be the father at home as sure. well as do mm. um, what I needed to do at work and take good care of my patients and I became more irritable um, and uh, if you would ask asked anybody who knew me they could tell you something Jay is not quite right but they didn't know what to do yeah <laughs> i think how many i'm sure many people listening have had that kind of experience you mm-hmm. see some sure so as the story played out i would kind of have little places where i'd feel better but it just was a very slow trend towards being more and more despairing inside mm-hmm. and not feeling like i could talk about it so uh, here we
0: have you know the christian perspective that God is in control and, you know, the future is
1: in good hands. uh, But it doesn't mean we're free from the pain and suffering of the world. Absolutely not. And if one reads Psalms, I've read Job many, many times and actually have sent many of my patients and students to Job to read because... Mm -hmm. The Bible has no trouble, and the biblical characters have no trouble talking about the darkness of human life. And as uh, Elizabeth Elliot once said, yes, we can tell God when we're frustrated. He's big enough to take that. (laughs) (laughs) And he still loves us. And and the story of Job is itself um, reflected on a lot. But but there's something. When we talk about uh, mental illness and depression, I'll, I'll say this in... You can respond to it, Glenn. The church has not always done very well thinking about this carefully and Mm -hmm. treating people well. You know, we believe that Jesus was both God and man, and therefore he is fully human and fully God. Which means that Jesus had a brain, and he had neurotransmitters, and they worked exactly the way they were supposed to cried when it was appropriate to cry. He laughed when it was appropriate to laugh. All of his thoughts, his will, his desires, his emotions, his acts, were all working in symphony, all orchestrated by a brain the way God designed it. And sin doesn't just affect us in some ethereal, spiritual manner. It screws up our life. Disease is a result of the fall. And therefore, messed up neurotransmitters is a part of the fall. And one of the interesting things about modern life and modern science is we understand better how neurotransmitters work today. It turns out what we call depression is largely a depletion of a um, chemical called serotonin from the brain. When you see that chemical deplete, the sense that is the way, the means through which God designed us to have a sense of wholeness and a sense that things are okay and so the, the development of medications to help the body naturally rebuild serotonin levels in the brain to restore the neurotransmitters to the way god designed them was something i came up with sort of thinking about even before i was ever diagnosed with depression and i would mm-hmm. often explain this to my um, patients tried Great. To- and we're
0: going to continue this uh, conversation in our next broadcast and we invite <laughs> you to join us here at the lion's den my guest is uh, Dr. Jay Lynch here at the University of Florida College of Medicine. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Report. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.